The whole world has changed and the church is asleep. This is Mission Shift, a podcast that shares ideas about reaching out to the immigrant cultures in America today. When most people think of missions, they immediately think of somewhere overseas. Yet missions today could mean the neighbor next door. Our conversation today is with Roland Wells, a historian, pastor, and communicator who has spent most of his life teaching people how the gospel can impact all people and cultures. Thanks for joining us today. Today, Roland, we're going to be talking about immigration again. And one of the questions I have is, are the immigrants different today than they were, say, in previous generations? My mom actually came from England. She was an immigrant during the late 40s. And for the most part of the last century, most of those immigrants came from Christian countries. How has that changed and why is this immigrant population different today and how do we treat it? Well, yeah, my grandparents came from Norway, you know, back there about <laughs> 1910. Oh, yeah. It, they are different and they aren't different. They are different in that they're coming from much more culturally distant places. But at the same time, you can have a distance in culture from people who have lived very closely together and know each other almost too well. Now, the key idea here is identity. Wolf's book, Exclusion and Embrace, amazing book. He was a uh, Croatian-German theologian that lived through the uh, unpleasantness in uh, the Yugoslavian wars about 20 years ago and reflected on it and talked about identity. And the, the only hope to tell the end of the story here is that uh, to gain a new identity, a shared identity, and that identity is Christ himself. But mm-hmm. that's the difference, correct? When, that's, when, that's the difference. When my mom came over, she had an English accent, and because she wanted to assimilate so badly, she worked very hard to eliminate that oh, accent. Oh, everyone loves the British accent. <laughs> well, it is, but and you try to assimilate and you try to fit in, and most people do. And if you go to into our high schools today and you talk to Somali kids or you talk to Latino kids... They've got perfect English, and they've, they've lost their accent, and they work very hard getting rid of their accent. I, I'm an only child. I, I'm amazement when I see people, you know, siblings working with each other. They may be siblings who are five, you know, three, five, and seven, or they may be siblings who are, uh, you know, 63, 65, 67, or any th- place in between. And those people, they love each other, but they know each other, and they have developed their whole personalities off of each other. So if the first person was a, a perfect student, the second person maybe was the jock, and the third person, they'll each find a role. The most important relationships in those people's lives that define them, even if they haven't talked to them in five years, the defining role, the defining person that one defines oneself off of is primarily one sibling. And to the outside world, they'd look like a match set. They'd like, be like salt shakers. You know, they, uh, they look the same, they talk the same, they've got the same gestures. But to them, to siblings, they know the differences and they can tell you all week how they're different from each of their siblings because that's how they have established their identity throughout their entire life. And a lot of those squabbles that are relived over and over again is simply because those are the the, the mythic stories, the, the identity-producing stories that... Uh, 
that never end. Well, the same thing is true. Look how long France and, uh, and England fought. Germany and France fought. The Germans and the Franks, or, well, they were all Franks. The Germans and the French, they were all Franks under Charlemagne. They were one people, and the, the, the French picked up church Latin, and they began to develop a Latin-based language, whereas the, the Eastern Franks, they kept German, and Charlemagne had three sons split it into three sections, and the middle section was split in half because he was pretty incompetent. Anyway, they started out as siblings, but yet they have fought. They have millions of people have died. Look how Swedes and Norwegians, you know, joke about each other to this day. Now, you listen to the languages, whatever, but Swedes and Norwegians could tell you all day as to how they're different from each other, and they are. Well, wars have but, been fought in Europe over religion within Christendom, but this new immigrant is different, and assimilation for this new immigrant is different, and, and that's, I think, the problem in which so many of us are having a hard time with. The English and the the Irish spoke the same language, and they hated each other because of the political thing. So the religious thing even became more heightened, and the Irish hated the English. But now today, it would be no big deal. And the difference, my mother was full-blooded Norwegian. My dad was raised in an Irish background. And the difference between those cultures was huge, very marked. Well, now, 150 years later, it's pretty well blended because they had, they probably shared about 98%. Now, when we talk about these other cultures that are coming in, when we've got somebody like Somalis coming into Sweden or, or into the United States, these are people who have maybe share 50% of, of our culture, of our understanding, of our worldview. They have a radically different language. They have a radically different view of family and clan and tribe. They have a radically different life experience. Many of them have been living a life like Sarah and Abraham as wandering pastoralists until this generation. They were not urban people. They were not city people. They have never seen the kinds of cultural things, refrigerators and ovens, microwave ovens and, and bathrooms and those sorts of things. There are just many different things that are very, very different. Roles of men and women. Uh, unthinkable to see the kind of uh, egalitarian quality that we expect in our our culture. But what a different world our culture is today from 75 years ago. You know, cultures change, cultures impact each other, but they started from a much more distant place. Now, you can have cultures that are distant from each other, like the English and the Irish, and they're two peas in a pod, but because of hatred, they have developed over against each other like siblings. But you can also have cultures that are very distant simply because they've never had any contact before. And they're so far distant, like the Somalis, that it's very difficult to communicate as to what even words mean. What does it mean to tell the truth? What does it mean to live in a society? What does it mean to be a part of a culture? And you know, these are things where presuppositions that we have are very different in other places, and we don't realize, oh, wait a minute, this person has a whole different way of understanding this. So chances are the second and third generation Somalis will be different than the first generation. We've seen that with the Hmong population. The Hmong population came yep. in and they were animists or some other religion, and they spoke a language. The first generation spoke the original language. But by the time the second and third generation, they completely changed, didn't know the Hmong language, acculturated back into society. Will that happen with the Somali population? Well, it will. 
And you can't talk about the Hmong population, really, because there are some Hmong folk that will function in, in Hmong their whole lives, and they will remain animists, and they will remain, they will have those beliefs, and there will be shamans. There are, you know, 30-year-old shamans out there as well. And yet the other end, it's, it's kind of a bell-shaped curve. Some will, you know, on the tails will remain, you know, very, very traditional, and some on the other end will, small group, will become completely fluent and involved in society, and in between they'll be kind of a, you know, each generation will probably become more assimilated, but first people become acculturated. They learn to function the culture, even if they're kind of translating the culture. And then gradually they get to the point where they understand all the nuances as to what's going on. Uh, That takes a while. As a child, I noticed that my mother, whose parents were both from Norway, was so interested in watching people. She was always curious and she'd, you know, why mom are we doing this? Well, that's what people do. That's what people do. How many times did I hear that growing up? And she loved, she was always curious as to how the the real Americans. Well, there was no way to, to look at her and say she wasn't, you know, 100% American going back 15 generations. But her parents had moved here just before she was born. She always felt a little off of center. She always felt a little distant. And I didn't recognize that really until I started working with cultures as to what she was experiencing. Now, the question that remains, the Hmong folks have come in and they have a culture and they have found a lot of ways to punch through the cultural walls. And they function very well, and and they're very excited in many cases, most cases, to be Americans, grab the American dream, buy a house in the suburbs. Now, there are cultures, there are people who will have come to a different culture and remain distant from that culture for a long, long, long time. And that's sort of what we're experiencing with some of the Middle East immigrants, correct? Well, yeah, because again, the the line between Islam and Christianity is a line that's pretty hard to break through Mm. because Islam came after Christianity and it defines itself over against Christianity like a sibling. They don't want to break through that line. They do not want to become a part of what they see as Christian culture, Christian heresy, whatever. But see, you can have cultures where you break through the walls between the Irish-Norwegian walls, between the English and, and American walls. You can break through and people break through and become acculturated and assimilated all the time. But there are other cultures, you know, there, there's a, a, a gap between black and white. There's a wall, there's a hardened edge in many parts of the country between black and white or par- parts of black and parts of white. In the Dakotas, the distance between Native American people and the locals, this has been heightened and heightened. 20 years, 30 years, 50 years down the line with the Somalis is being determined now. One of our early seminary students at our church was raised in Germany. He, during World War II as a child, his family was in Prussia where the Russians overran. He moved and grew up in uh, in Argentina, fluent in Spanish. So he's fluent in German, fluent in Spanish, came up here, went to college, married an American girl, and God called him late in life in his 50s to go to seminary. So when he finished up seminary, he was contacted by a, a group doing mission work. Where? Romania, of course. Romania? Well, yeah, Romania, because there's a big cluster of Germans there in Romania, and all the young people had left when the Iron Curtain fell down. And there are these huge German communities, mostly all old people now. And these, and the Germans moved in there a long, long time ago. And they're without pastors. They're without... When did they move in there, and how long have they kept their culture separate? They moved in in the 1200s. 
at the Reformation, they went Lutheran. So they have kept themselves separate from the Romanian culture and kept themselves separate from the, the Roma culture or the uh, the Gypsy culture, all three cultures, very hardened walls. They build these huge castle churches with walls four to six feet thick, and they can lock these things up and they can all hide in there in case of difficulty. But they have remained separate for 800 years. Wow. Well, that's. I want to come back to what you said a little bit earlier, because you said the way that we'll be defining the Muslim or Somali population in 20 years or so, it starts today. I think that's what you said. And I want to know why and how are we defining that? How is that being defined today? Because what we need to do is come to a point of understanding their culture and build some bridges. And that's what Mission Shift does. That's what we're trying to teach people to do is to learn what a cultural boundary is and learn how to cross it. We need to start thinking like missionaries. We, the religious consumers in the pew, have to turn around in the pew and face out and realize that our job now, we're surrounded, Twin Cities now have almost a million immigrants in their families. And the only way we're going to break through, the only way we're not going to have these hard cultural walls and enmity happen, you've got a group of people who are have a long history of fighting. They have a long history of, of conflict. They have a long history of keeping their identity. And it's very strong because it's clan-based. It's family and clan and tribe-based. And even as the second generation and the third generation start appearing and be, start becoming more acculturated, there's a lot of fear. And in the camps in Kenya, they were, I don't know what's the right term, but evangelized by the uh, the Wahhabis. And they... Uh, they told them a lot of untruths about Christianity, so there's a great deal of fear. And they look at our culture and they see sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and they see the way families fall apart, and, and there's a real puritanical streak among the Somalis, and rightfully so. We can we can laud that and their emphasis on how they understand morality and family and the law, if you will, theologically. But whether or not we end up with a hard wall, a hard edge, a impenetrable us versus them will be decided whether we go and learn them and whether we go and love them. And if we go and we break through those cultural walls and befriend Somalis and befriend and develop conversations and let them know, but we've got to to go like a missionary. Guys aren't going to be able to go talk to Somali women. There's a very deep divide there. But American women, there's a great hunger for Somali women to get to know American women and to understand how they handle marriage and how they raise their kids. I had an interesting experience here during this political season. I went to a political caucus here recently, and I was amazed at about, I want to say 20 to 25 percent of the people present were Somali women. I didn't see any men there, but there were women, and they were involved in the political process in selecting their next city council member and mayor. And I thought to myself, now that's participating within the system and perhaps not building that hard, fast wall. It was a good example of how the church can make those inroads into these families so that it doesn't become a hard, fast wall. And Mission Shift does that. Mission Shift trains Christians how to do cross-cultural ministry so those walls aren't being built. Tell us more about Mission Shift and how it works with, say, 
a Somali population. Well, because we as Americans, above almost any people on the earth, are see themselves as monocultural. You know, what do you call a person that speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call a person that speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call a person that speaks one language? American. You know, we've, we've had the this tremendous identity of, of one country, you know, in the 50s on television. America was there were no black people in America. There were no Latino people in America. There were no Native American people in America. Everybody lived in a two-story house uh, in the suburbs, June Cleaver, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we had an identity. That world is not with us anymore. And as we break into this new world and start understanding that there are cultures, that there are other cultures embedded in America, we've mentioned, and there are many, many other cultures. There are 218 languages, I believe, in Minnesota now. And these people all see the world a little bit different. And some of them see it very different. And yet we're enriched as we get to know these people and their cultures, and we get to understand them. You know, look how we've been enriched just in the restaurants in the Twin Cities. Uh, my parents thought of uh, spaghetti and pizza as being exotic foods. And that, oh, but they like that Chinese chow mein. But it was exotic. And it was, you know, that's how much the world has changed in just the last uh, 60, 70 years. I mean, there are a couple avenues in Minneapolis, as you know, down south and one up here in yeah. northeast Minneapolis that you can find foods from any part of the world, and they're good food. Yeah, they so, sure are. So let's specifically, if you could just bring us to a, a point of understanding how Mission Shift can help a local congregation understand the populations around them. we got to think like missionaries. we got to love those around us. we got to learn how to learn a culture, and that's a new skill for us. It's something that's not in our normal bag of tools. So we need to, to understand that. We understand need to understand the kinds of things that make up culture. We need to to learn the tools of how to learn a culture, just like missionaries do. And we'll be enriched, and we will gain amazing friends, and we will be deeply blessed. And the future of the American church and the future of, of what our America is going to be like, I mean, realize those people, those immigrants, those Somalis, those Laotian and Hmong and Latino people are the other great-grandparents of your great-grandchildren. So you're saying interracial marriages are definitely a part of the Our kids American... will marry their kids, mm -hmm. and, and but what will they believe? What will they believe? Who will be their Lord? Will, will, you know, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's Good the point. question. But the, we're not doing this because we're rah-rah, we're loyal to the church. Jesus calls us. He calls us. Go, therefore. But you don't have to go across the earth. You can turn around in your cubicle and talk to the person next to you. You can talk to the person that you are checking out uh, your groceries with at, uh, at Target. But this is the time, and we need to learn. And we, it doesn't take a Ph.D. You know, we spend one night a week for a year learning. How do you go about reaching out to people who are different? And it's uh, once a week on a Monday night here locally in the Twin yeah. Cities. But if somebody lived outside of the Twin Cities, how would they be able to get that same kind of training? Well, we've got resources on the web. We've got some free stuff on missionshift.org, missionshift.org. And we're working now on getting our course figured out in such a way after 20-some years that we can put lectures on and people can be involved in the class. Stay tuned for further developments. We're working on that one. The trick is, is that we teach a course that teaches you how to learn your city and learn your people and learn what's going on in your area. 
because each area has got to be reached differently and each culture has got to be reached differently. So we're trying to come up with commonalities between cities and ways that people can actually, through projects and different things, can study their neighborhood, their city, get to know who's there. And and if churches become effective to reach beyond themselves. You see, the health of the American church, churches are small and they're old and pastors can't even get Sunday school teachers and now you're telling them they got to do a, a cross-cultural ministry? No, they don't. But we need to each of us as church members become t- turned outwards. Well, just as the internet has replaced a lot of businesses in our community because they have not learned how to change into a technological world. Same thing is true, I think, within the church is what you're saying, Pastor Wells, is that we need to learn more and different skills to reach a people that are now coming into our community. Well, this podcast is brought to you by, of course, missionshift.org, and that's the place to go to find out more information about the classes, uh, to see videos, and even maybe download some articles. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us today for this podcast. If you liked what you heard, please join us again next time. You can go to our website at missionshift.org for more information. While you're online, you can sign up for the RSS feed that will deliver a link to your email inbox so you'll never miss an episode. That address again is missionshift.org.